0: They're buddies and they're daddies, but they're totally not gay. They're a princess and her assistant, and they totally are. Hello lovely listeners, welcome to another episode of Not Just Tentacles where I, Rachel, attempt to demystify anime. The plan was I was going to watch the fourth episodes of each of these shows on Crunchyroll and tell you what I thought about them. And how the series in question were shaping up to be, well winter 2023's finest, or at least those that I've been watching. But it was not to be. Crunchyroll was doing the circle of doom. So I thought, oh, well, let's go on what we have already. And what we have already is pretty promising, actually. I'm thoroughly enjoying both of them. So to kick off, we've got Buddy Daddies, which is meant to be I wouldn't say a placeholder for Spy Family, although it does share many themes and just general feels in common. In fact, I am going to be a little bit disloyal here and say that I have found um, Spy Family ever so slightly draggy of late. I mean, I still like it, but it's turned into a bit of a shaggy dog tale, And I feel like Buddy Daddies, for the time being at least, is doing it better. So the story is, we have our odd couple, and I don't mean they're an actual couple, they're roommates, and I mean actual roommates, um, Kazuki and Ray. So Kazuki is a blonde extrovert who has lots of friends and lots of girlfriends by the look of it, because the first time we ever see him, he's just honey trapped someone and is nicking information from her. Um, He appears to have Um, a past. Well, I know all people do, but you know what I mean. It seems that he previously had a family. And I originally thought that he just wimped out of being a dad because that's what he made it sound like. But from the flashbacks that we've seen ever so slightly fleetingly, it looks like um, his wife and kid died. But more on that, I'm sure, will be revealed in later episodes. Meanwhile, he rooms with Ray, who I personally love. He is this quiet, awkward, grumpy Ataku who just spends his entire time sitting around playing video games and rarely ever leaving the house. And the only time where he does bother to do so is when they're going out assassinating people because, yep, they are hitmen. And this would prompt Roof to ask, because this is something that she asks every time that this comes up. Why are there so many assassins in anime? And it does give the impression that getting an assassin in Japan is about as easy as booking a plumber. And I have my theory about this. My idea is it achieves three things. One, it establishes your hero or rather your protagonist as a complex individual with few morals, but they tend to be all right. they just basically kill people for money, so it, it does that two it means that you'll never ever have to research anything because the idea is that um you just show up somewhere you murder somebody and then you're gone and three there's an almost limitless amount of opportunities of storylines with this kind of thing so I get it. I understand it. It can sometimes make you think, oh, God, not another bloody assassin. But in this instance, it fits because it's like, what is the most unlikely thing that you can picture an assassin doing? And in this instance, it's looking after a kid because the whole premise of Buddy Daddies, as the name might suggest, is that they end up acquiring a little girl, which is hilarious and hypocritical because in the very first episode Ray finds a stray cat and brings it home and Kazuki's like no you can't do that and then um, returns it to the streets and Ray quite rightly and poker-facedly when um, they bring home Miri is like oh great so I can't have a cat but you get to keep a kid and it's like yep yeah, yep yeah, you're you're right there mate so think of it as being like in Bruges crossed with three men and a baby I think that's a fair summary so basically what happens is they're on a job where Kazuki is dressed as Santa wheeling a cake and in the kind of time kind of time-honored um some like it hot type way Ray is hiding under the cake and ready to open fire on their target But it goes ever so slightly wrong because a little girl appears and she's all like, yay, Santa! And being really excited and thrilled and whatever and saying that she wants to meet her daddy and so on because she's never met him before. And they're like, oh, God, oh, God, abort, abort. But they end up going into the room anyway where they find their target and Ray being Ray kills him. And um, unfortunately... I mean, this should come as no surprise for anybody that's watched any work of fiction ever. The target turns out to be the kid's dad. So they've just made her half an orphan. But the little kid um, now believes that Kazuki is her dad. So she now lives with them. And yeah, kids and assassins are not a great hit. I mean, they end up accidentally taking her on one of their jobs. And of course, that goes to hell in a handbag and um Ray (laughs) I I love how Ray is just being a defrosting ice king throughout because Kazuki was keen on the idea of being a surrogate dad from the start because well obviously he has previous but Ray was like no keep her away from me no 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 but I love how it's setting up how similar they are him and Miri And, and Miri is so cute too because I freely admit I am not a big fan of kids. I mean, I've, I mean, I have a niece, but I haven't seen her yet. And I sort of get on okay with other people's kids. So the best part of it is is that you get to give them back. <laughs> because I honestly never saw myself as having children, and not just because of the gay thing. I just don't think I've got a maternal bone in my body. But Miri is really sweet. She f- acts and talks like a proper child. It's not one of those irritating as heck anime children who you just know that this person just has never interacted with a real kid in their whole life so she likes funny cereals and snacks and playing computer games and running around and she needs the toilet and she kicks the back of chairs and just everything that anybody that's had to babysit a kid knows is part of the course The third episode, so the last one I watched, it was a change of pace because I thought, oh, it's going to be um, some more amusing hijinks. I mean, don't get me wrong, the previous episode was great and there was the nail-biting, knuckle-gnawing, oh, God, they're killing people, but there's a kid there. Ah, Are they going to escape? Are they going to be all right? Ah." So, but the third episode, oh, my God, I was not expecting that. So Kazuki's like, oh, this isn't fair. We need to give the kid back. And they find out um, from their boss, who is doing the whole anime, using a coffee shop stroke bar as the front of his business. Are there any actual real bars and coffee shops in Japan? One might ask. Are they all secret cover-ups for something about them? Anyway, they... He has given them the details for the kid's mum. She's apparently one of the floozies of the of the target. And um, Kazuki manages to find her. She is a singer in a really dingy bar. And um, she's being mistreated by a heavy. So he hits him and, he, and the guy runs off. But then she's furious with him because he's her boyfriend. So as well as obviously Miri's dad. So... And it is clear that she is a drunken, unpleasant, hot mess, to be honest. And um, she makes it clear that she'd never wanted to be a mum, that she doesn't like Miri, and that she just drives her up the wall. And Kazuki is just getting angrier and angrier. So he's only known the kid for a week, if that. And he already has far more paternal feelings towards her than her own mother ever will and I like that because I'm a big fan of found fam family anyway but I love the fact that anime is one of the few places that isn't afraid to show the fact that sometimes the worst person in a child's life is their own parent that you do get parents that just aren't interested who don't give a damn that would just give their kid to some complete stranger at the drop of a hat in And in other news, we find out more about Ray as well. He is the way he is for a reason, because the episode opens with a horrible sequence of a dog being shot. And you find out that that was his pet as a little boy, killed by his dad. And his dad asks him to call, says he's his boss and not to call him dad. And you're like, oh God, poor Ray. And yeah, that explains why he has just suppressed all his emotions and you just oh your heart goes out to him and yeah you see him throughout the episode warming up to mary and finally being called papa ray i don't know what's with the whole papa thing do people call their parents the equivalent of mama and papa rather than Mum and dad i'll put that out to you because i don't honestly know and when he does finally accept his role and when you get Kasuki meeting them in the park and them going home together as the sun sets, it's just so heartwarming. And so I've only seen three episodes, but I'm already loving it. I'm already engrossed. I'm already wanting to see what happens next. I mean, I can only assume because the beginning of the show was in the future, well, possibly a few months down the line, I don't know, when they firmly think of themselves as her dads. But we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. But everything about it is good, it's solid, it's well-made, well-animated. I enjoy the characters, they feel real. There's the whole anxiety about their lifestyle versus the kid. I just feel that it's it yeah it's not going to it's not going to change the world but it is still fun it still makes me happy to watch it every week I always smile when I see that there's a new episode and I do want to see these crazy bastards become dads as well as finding out more about their backstories and um just learning what makes them tick, why they became assassins in the first place and why Miri's dad was such a cunt. He was willing to hold his own daughter hostage. So yeah, all of that, I want to know. I will happily watch all of that. I mean, I'm sure it could actually get the whole thing done and dusted in one season, to be honest, because I am enjoying it. But you don't need every single series, to be an epic that goes on season after season. Some of them are just tidily done. And I hope that will be the case with this because otherwise it might be too much of a good thing. The second show of this season for me was something of a surprise. I was not planning to watch this show at all. I only hit upon it in the first place because I was reading... um anime feminist because this is where I often find out um good shows with um female characters in because it is something that you worry about as um a female anime fan that everything seems to be geared towards teenage boys or guys and and uh, I was looking at this and it mentioned that it was a dazzling Yuri and I was like whoa it's a Yuri really because my experiences with Yuri so far haven't been great which causes me some dismay, as obviously a lesbian. It just, because obviously you had Miss Kobayashi being the pedo dragon show, and you had Blooming Citrus, which is rapey and wrong, and Netsusu Trap, which was the rapian wrong girl next door. I just thought I want to watch a programme that has a decent love story with likeable characters and isn't a slice of life for once and has adults because I am so sick of schoolgirls. I am 37 years old. I don't want to see teenage girls feeling each other up. It makes me feel grubby. And I love fantasy kingdom stories I mean I especially humorous ones so I thought right okay it's a Yuri and it's set in a fantasy world so count me in so our heroine Alice is just I love her absolutely well and truly adore her I mean she is effectively Ruby from well ruby with um a palette swap but she is one of my favorite character archetypes which is the mad scientist and a mad scientist that's female because I really miss um she called Hatsume Hatsume from (laughs) Hero, Midoriya um my hero academia because I thought she was a brilliant character how she was just so utterly absorbed in her inventions to the exclusion of practically all else and she just got sidelined over the years and it just bothered me because she was just great and had so much potential and that is what Annis is like. So she is the older sibling of um the royal family but she's decided to give up the throne and everybody assumes that this is because she's some weird flake that would rather tinker around with um various inventions but it's not it's because she deeply cares about her country and about the future and she believes that she won't make a good ruler so that's why she's chosen to do it that's why she stepped aside so her horrible little brother can become the king instead And something else that I love about Anis, and which marks her as one of my favourite female characters in anime thus far, she is a lesbian and proud of it. In flashback, you see her declare to her dad, when I get married, I want it to be to a woman. I mean, how often do you see that anywhere? And that she falls in love with her love interest, Euphilia, pretty much from the first moment that she sets eyes on her when they're both considerably younger. So she has been in love with her all her life. So it's not some scabby, I fancy her because she's my new stepsister, or I fancy her because she's now dating somebody and I'm jealous. It's somebody that has obviously fallen in love with somebody over time and now seizes their chance to build a relationship with them well obviously to get them to like them first but then to fall in love normally none of this creepy I'm gonna make the moves on you crap that you get everywhere else so you have Anis and you have Euphilia her love interest so she was previously engaged to Anis's brother Algard is he called Algard either way He's blonde, he's full of himself and he's a complete and utter prick. And he's also in love with somebody else. So he dumps Euphilia because he doesn't actually love her and he prefers this other random girl. And he does it incredibly publicly. He calls off the engagement it's just humiliating and you really feel for you feel you think what what are you doing that is harsh man you, you could have done it quietly without causing a sensation but no and this is who he is this is not the only thing he has in common with anis because seeing as she's forever going around blowing things up and crashing brooms oh more on that later and um and um fortunately, or not as the case may be, um, this ceremony gets completely hijacked by Anis coming through on her broom, smashing in, seeing the situation, and then asking you, Philly, will you come away with me? And um, pretty much kidnapping her, but in a sort of non-creepy way, more in a sort of, hey, let's... Let's do something with this tight way. And sure enough, she asks her to become her assistant because she has a dream. Because, and this is the name of the show, I kid you not, I've just realised that, did I say it previously? The Magical Revolution of the Reincarnated Princess and the Genius Young Lady. Yeah, I can't believe that I've gone 10 odd minutes talking about this show and did not mention the name. But in my defence, that is such a mouthful. To the extent that when I looked around, I found out that everybody is calling it genius young lady. And that's what I'm going to call it too. So because, as it suggests, Anis has lived before. And we haven't gone into too much detail about that. But she doesn't have any power pursuit because this is a world that runs on magic but she does not have any magic so I can only assume that this means that despite appearances this is actually an isekai anime and that she's come from well our world or somewhere similar so she has no magic but she is a great believer in magical science and is doing whatever she can to create her own which is why she has all these crazy broom flights going wrong and going around beating up werewolves or whatever and just all the other madcap things she does like um she, she's made her own kettle with her face on it because she's got a little logo which is basically her own face and it's just i i just love her she is just so eccentric and so into everything and um she wants Euphilia to be her assistant and because she doesn't really have any options, she's gone, sure, why not? And you can tell, even in these very early days, that she's not quite sure what to think of um, her new boss, friend. I mean, Annis calls her Yuffie. In fact, can we call her Yuffie from now on? Because one, her full name sounds like a disease. And two, thinking about her, I'm not entirely sure that I've been pronouncing it properly all this time. So we will go with calling her Yuffie. Because Yuffie, unlike Anis, is a complete and utter paragon of magical power. She's meant to be one of the most gifted people ever to have lived in that regard. And you're probably thinking, oh, not the old anime trope of somebody being the best whatever even though they're like 19 or whatever well yes this that is the case but roll with it and I guess it does make sense in this case because Anis is a mad genius so she of course she will be attracted to somebody that is her match intellectually rather than some no mark so at the moment they are just making their way towards a friendship stroke working relationship. I mean, and it's, it's very clearly smitten. Like um, in the last episode, when um, Yuffie was displaying her powers and using a weapon that she'd made for her, she was just going, oh, her magic is so beautiful. And later she told her that she'd always made her think of a rainbow. And I was like, oh, oh. It's just that, I know it doesn't sound like much, but when the last few shows you've watched in this genre are just lasses forcing kisses on each other and just having no chemistry or no sense of romance whatsoever, then something like this just tugs at your heartstrings and it looks gorgeous and the characterization and the music and the everything I mean okay the only criticism that I have um apart from the fact that it hasn't quite explained the fantasy kingdom aspect of things but I'm sure we'll learn more about that is maybe it's ever so slightly slow paced but I, I don't know how many episodes this is gonna have and um and it is doing incredibly well, surprisingly so, like the other week, it was first, it is top of the most view anime of the new season, which considering there were some pretty heavy hitters in there, like Vinland Saga, and um, Attack on Titan is not to be sniffed at, and I... I'm delighted because this will finally show that people want to watch Yuri, that it's not some niche thing, that it's not Putty guys just wanting to go, ooh, look at that. Ooh, schoolgirls. Know that there are actual lesbians out there that are consuming this content and enjoying it. So I hope that this means that there's going to be more. And I have heard there will be more because Yuri is My Job is going to start next season. I am so made up about that. And also, I'm in love with the villainess is coming out in the summer too. So. Yep, Yuri fans are gonna be feeding well in twenty twenty three. Ooh yeah. Um, and I think that's um everything. I realize I've um, witted on a bit, but that's me talking about my two of my favorite things: hitmen and lesbians. What we need now is a lesbian hitman. So somebody out there commission the anime. So um, I don't know what I'm doing next time. Actually, I do. I tell a lie. Um, so um, next time, I'm going to be doing a very special episode and not in the I'm going to rant about um, a serious subject this time. It's going to be me talking about the show that possibly prompted my love of anime in the first place many, many, many moons ago, Gem. Because, face it, it's got magical girls, secret identities, crazy science, feud, skullduggery. Everything is essentially an anime with music, musical episodes, every episode. So, until then, love you guys. Bye! Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe. And you can also follow us on social media. We are at Tentacles Not on Twitter and on Facebook. Our page is called Not Just Tentacles. Speak to you soon. Bye.